Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Friday, November 17th. I'm Hannah Floor. A father and son who are part owners of a Petersburg fishing lodge were charged Tuesday by the state of Alaska with over 50 violations of state fishing laws. Walter Payne, age 74, and Michael Payne, age 50, are the operators of Rocky Point Resort, along with other family and staff. Michael is facing 42 charges, and Walter is facing 13 charges for violations in the summer of 2020. All of the charges are misdemeanors involving illegal fishing for halibut. Halibut is strictly regulated with a limited quota for commercial and sports fishermen, and the harvests must be documented. State and federal officers were involved in the investigations. Officers say the two men helped their clients take too many halibut and did not accurately document the halibut that was caught. Many of the charges stem from gaff or guided angler fish halibut. Gaff fish are halibut quota that is sold by commercial fishermen to guided sports fishermen through a federal catch sharing program. The charges follow over 50 similar counts charged in May against four fishing guides at the lodge. Summons for both panes were issued on Wednesday. Their arraignment is set for December 4th at the Petersburg Courthouse. Michael Payne, when reached by phone on Thursday, said he hadn't seen the charges yet. Walter Payne could not be reached. The state's prosecuting attorney is Ronald Dupuis with the Office of Special Prosecutions in Anchorage. A U.S. Coast Guard Jayhawk helicopter crashed on Monday night on a remote island northwest of Petersburg. There were four crew members aboard and all survived, though two were seriously injured. They'd flown out to the island to render aid to a crabbing boat that was taking on water. But as KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports, the people they came to rescue became their rescuers instead. The crew of the Jayhawk helicopter were on their way from Air Station Sitka to assist the 55-foot Lydia Marie, a commercial crabbing vessel which was taking on water near Farragut Bay. When they arrived, the crew of the boat had just begun to contain the flooding. But then things went south. For the helicopter, it crashed on the island, landing completely upside down. The crew of the Lydia Marie, brothers Logan and Levi Paget, jumped into the fray. They drove their boat ashore on Reed Island and started calling for help from Petersburg. Two members of the helicopter crew were pinned inside, and the brothers tried to keep them comfortable with sleeping bags and ibuprofen until more help arrived. Petersburg Search and Rescue, EMS, police, Alaska Wildlife Troopers, and more Coast Guard personnel answered their call for help. Aaron Hankins is the director of Petersburg's Emergency Services. He says the ride to Reed Island was pretty treacherous. Waves were nearly washing over the sides of the boat. And all the while, they were being pelted with snow and rain. We were kind of going with it on our way there, and it was still pretty lumpy. It was pretty rough. Um, at times, it was white out on our way out there. Patrick Fowler leads Petersburg's search and rescue team. He says when they reached the downed helicopter a couple hours after the crash, they walked into a mess. Yeah, strong smell of, of uh, fuel in the air. As could be expected, the helicopter was you know, almost totally on its uh, top side. Yeah, yeah. The team was ready to render aid, but they didn't have the right tools to immediately get the crew out of the fuselage. What they had with them might have been suitable to extract someone from a car accident, not a helicopter. 
but with time and some brute force, they were able to free the injured crew. Yeah, I mean, just a, a small space that's gone topsy-turvy and people kind of stuck and injured. Um, tricky environment to work in, but uh, uh, yeah, cutting some straps, uh, breaking a couple of pieces of metal, and uh, ultimately getting them positioned in where we could transition them uh, up and out of the helicopter. In spite of the challenges... Fowler says it was his favorite type of rescue mission. At the end of the day, everyone came home, and um, that's why we do this. It's, it's uh, that type of scenario, and, and especially when, at the end of the day, you see a direct correlation to like your actions and a positive benefit to the people there that were in a, you know, in trouble. So, yeah, so that's that's the most rewarding type of type of mission that we we get. Back in Petersburg, Dr. Alice Hulebach was the physician on call that night. She says it was all hands on deck. Most of the hospital's nurses and providers came out to lend a hand, even though they weren't on call. Hulebach says the attending staff didn't know what to expect, but they weren't optimistic. There was a lot of unknown, but sort of planning for, unfortunately, the worst. And so that is why we essentially called in as much help as we could. Once the patients were stabilized, two nurses and a doctor accompanied the Coast Guard medevac flight to Seattle because the Coast Guard didn't have their own medevac team available at the time. Mary Kravitz is Petersburg Medical Center's nursing supervisor. She was on that flight, tending to the injured helicopter crew. She's also the spouse of a Coast Guardsman. Kravitz says that connection made it very easy for her to volunteer her time. Because thinking of my husband, you know, it's something that if, if, if I was in their shoes and I couldn't get to my husband in this sort of situation, I would hope that somebody um, would do the same for him. The Coast Guard has not released the names of the crew members. An investigation into the cause of the crash is ongoing. In Petersburg... I'm Shelby Herbert. The Coast Guard has established a security zone extending two nautical miles out from Reed Island while it investigates the crash. All vessels in the vicinity are required to stay clear of the island until January 14th of 2024. Any parties who wish to travel through the area must get permission from the Southeast Alaska Command Center by calling 907-463-2980 or VHF Channel 16. And a different angle on the story of the helicopter crash, this time from Sitka. The first people at the scene of Monday night's crash of an air station Sitka helicopter were the crew of the distressed fishing vessel it was sent to assist. As KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports, the two brothers aboard the Lydia Marie played a critical role in the rescue of the downed air crew. Logan Paget is the captain of the Lydia Marie, a 44-foot wooden trawler based in Wrangell. The Lydia Marie began taking on water around 8 p.m. Monday in the rough seas of Frederick Sound when Paget sent out a mayday and steered for the protected northern shore of Reed Island in Farragut Bay. The helicopter launched from Air Station Sitka and made the 81-mile trip to Reed Island by 10.15. Paget spoke to the air crew by radio, letting them know that the flooding was under control. Then something went wrong. It was dark, so we were just looking at the helicopter lights. So there wasn't really much to see, but we could hear the rotors one second and then loud crash the next, and then silence. Paget turned on the Lydia Marie's crab lights. He and his younger brother rowed ashore and met one of the helicopter's pilots on the beach near where the aircraft had come to rest, inverted among some trees. He brought the pilot a handheld VHF radio, which he used to call for additional help.
Paget says it did not feel strange that he was now the one coming to the aid of the Coast Guard. Of course, there's just people helping people at that point. Paget says he knows nothing about helicopters or what might have caused the accident. As a mariner, he does know the weather, and it was not a good night. I know that visibility was terrible. The gusts of winds were terrible. It was just a really, really bad flying conditions. In all, Paget says he and his brother spent five or six hours on the beach at Reed Island helping the air crew. They brought them sleeping bags from the Lydia Marie. They used their radios to communicate with Petersburg responders and state troopers. Another helicopter from Air Station Sitka arrived to take the crew to safety. Shortly after daybreak, the cutter Elderberry came to escort the Lydia Marie at about 8 in the morning. Asked if he'll carry any particular memory of the events with him, Paget said it was just kind of all one long, cold night. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Alaska's red crab fishery reopened for business last month after being closed for two seasons due to low population numbers. Those massive king crab only account for a small portion of a typical crabber's income. Snow crab normally make up the vast majority of Bering Sea crabber's revenue, and with that fishery now completely closed for the second straight year, the fate of the local industry it supports is uncertain. In an attempt to make up for some lost income, one Kodiak-based fisherman brought king crab to Anchorage to sell directly to consumers. Alaska Public Media's Michael Finelli stopped by the parking lot pop-up and has this story. Myung Kim is excited to see the aptly named king crabs crawling around the two car-sized tubs in a parking lot on Spinard Road. I tried to buy all the time. This is hard to get. I don't know who sells king yeah. crab, king crab. I find out a lot, couple of years ago, someone sell in the mid, it's over there, downing, downing area, but I can't, they don't have any more. When's the last time you had a Alaskan I king crab? Probably three, four years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, I really waiting for this one. It's different. It's a sweet too. That three-year timeline since Kim has enjoyed this especially tasty local shellfish lines up with the last time Bering Sea crabbers were allowed to fish for Alaskan red king crab in 2020. The prized fishery reopened this season, but was capped at a much lower catch limit than historic averages. Gabriel Prout is a third-generation Alaska fisherman. The recent crab closures motivated him to haul a portion of this year's catch from his home port in Kodiak to Seward, then truck the crabs along with some fresh seawater up to Anchorage. That extra fuel and equipment aren't cheap, but Prout says it's profitable. But even with all those costs added up, it still pencils out. And I'm really happy to be able to, uh, to make this available to the local local Anchorage area. Part of the reason the trip pencils out is because of the wide margin between the price the seafood processing companies are paying and what Prout can charge Anchorage customers. Prout's selling the live crab in Anchorage for about $25 a pound, roughly three times the processor's rate, but still less than what most grocery stores would charge. Even with this creative effort to earn extra money, his family crabbing business and others like it are struggling to stay afloat. The limited amount of king crab they could catch this year helps, but the real cash cow is snow crab, accounting for up to 90% of their income, Prout says. The Bering Sea snow crab population crashed suddenly two years ago, which scientists now say was due to warming water caused by climate change. Those historically low numbers forced a complete closure of the fishery last year which has been devastating to the Alaska crabber business. 
Prout says he has some savings to get by with, but that won't last long. I mean, fishing is a lucrative business, but the boats themselves are also incredibly expensive to maintain. So any savings that you do have are you really you pour all of them back into the boat, you know, back into the maintenance, back into the shipyards and, um, you know, paying your crews well. So, it, you know, the savings that you did have in, uh, in the good years are, are quickly running out. He says some boats are struggling to pay off loans they took out when the crab stocks were strong. There's a few boats that are facing um, bank issues. A lot of fishermen, you know, bought into the resource when it was predicted to be extremely healthy. Uh, now uh, the banks are trying to collect on that revenue that's just not there because the seasons are closed. Ethan Nichols monitors the Bering Sea crab fisheries for Alaska's Department of Fish and Game. He says the total allowable catch for this year's Red King crab was the smallest ever, about 10 times less than the historic average of 20 million pounds. But that still paled in comparison to a typical snow crab season, which pulled in upwards of 40 million pounds in recent years and more than 300 million pounds back in the 1990s. The Red King crab fishery, a lot of vessels might just have one or maybe two trips for the season compared to a snow crab fishery, much larger. They might be um, steadily fishing snow crab for you know several months and making multiple multiple deliveries. Nichols says the prospects for the two fisheries are grim. They're not seeing the juvenile king crab that would support their population growth. The snow crab have seen a modest increase in juvenile males, but that fishery probably won't open again anytime soon. So it's likely that it'll take several more years until the small crab that are currently in the population reach the, the size crab that the fishery really targets. Whether Alaska's crabbers can get by for several years without snow crab is an open question. Reporting in Anchorage, I'm Michael Finelli. Alaska is falling behind in multiple areas regarding lung cancer, according to a report released earlier this month from the American Lung Association. The report reveals shocking statistics about early diagnosis of the disease in the state. And as Ava White reports, experts are saying more work needs to happen to reduce the rates of lung cancer. Alaska ranked in the bottom 10 in the nation for early diagnosis of lung cancer. That's according to the 2023 State of Lung Cancer Report, an annual report which examines indicators of the disease and the heavy effects that it can have. That means that the state is among the worst in the nation for detecting lung cancer in early stages. Cancer is the leading cause of death in Alaska, and the association's senior director of advocacy, Carrie Neeson, says that if you have lungs, you can get lung cancer. People often think that lung cancer is a disease that other people get. Uh, there's a misconception that you're only going to get lung cancer if you smoke and if you use tobacco use. Only about 24% of lung cancer cases in the state were diagnosed early, and even fewer eligible residents received screening, according to the report. And Neeson says that's a problem. When lung cancer is detected early, she says it can increase the survival rate because patients can opt in for treatment. Alaska ranked among the lowest nationwide for surgery, but Neeson says that she expects that the number would increase if high-risk patients received annual scans that detect the cancer. 20-year pack history means you would have smoked a pack of cigarettes a day for 20 years or two packs of cigarettes um, a day for 10 years. And then to have been a current smoker or to have quit within the past 15 years. 
Last year, less than 4% of high-risk Alaskans were screened for lung cancer, despite it being the deadliest cancer nationwide, according to reports from the CDC. Neeson says people should begin annual tests once they turn 50 or if they have a history of smoking. So if we could get people, you know, get that early, early uh, diagnosis, I think they would be more likely to have uh, that surgical option. Indigenous peoples are most likely to be diagnosed with lung cancer, but the disease's overall survival rate for people of color has increased 17% in just two years. Neeson says she isn't sure why, but she's happy that it's increasing. We are making progress in most vulnerable populations as well um, as the general population. So we don't know why, but we're really happy that we're seeing that movement. A report issued by the Department of Health earlier this year found significantly higher rates of lung and bronchial cancer in northwestern Alaska. Neeson says that the best way to prevent lung cancer is to receive regular screenings. The 2023 State of Lung Cancer Report is available on the American Lung Association website. For KNOM, I'm Ava White. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.